tonight's episode of Board Chitless is sponsored by The Game Steward. The Game Steward is an online game store offering Kickstarter board games out of print and imported games at reasonable prices. It's time to play. Okay, so on tonight's show, we have um, Timo Multamaki. Forgive my pronunciation there, Timo, if I've got that wrong. Um, Timo is the lead designer of Perdition's Mouth Abyssal Rift. And we're really pleased to have him on the show tonight. Um, Timo's been in contact with me ever since we launched our first Kickstarters together back in 2015 when Gloom of Killforth and Perdition's Mouth went pretty much head-to-head. Um but Timo was a, a really great bloke and we had a, a chat over the uh, over emails and stuff and we decided to actually work together a little bit and have some cross-promotion between the two games. So in a way, the two worlds of Perdition's Mouth and Gloom of Killforth are kind of interconnected. We've got a couple of cards in of Gloom of Killforth in the Perdition's Mouth game and there's a couple of Perdition's Mouth cards in Gloom of Killforth. So in that way, we sort of tied the worlds together and decided to not be... Um, competitors as it were um and since speaking to timo over the years they recently asked me to design a scenario for perdition's mouth 2 which i couldn't resist because it's an awesome little dungeon crawler so it was that was a really cool experience and it's great to work with timo and the team and um so yeah timo thanks so much for coming on the show how are you doing tonight i'm actually really nice and fine thank you and thank you for inviting me um I have to point out that uh, I'm now here in Cannes, in France, so this is a bit different for me because last time when I have been uh, in France, that has been only in, in, the, in the airport, and you know, I'm now in a, under, under a palm tree, and if I would be at home, um, of course the internet would be better, but it would be, well, quite a much colder than what it, what is, what it is here. And what's the deal? What are you doing in France at the moment, Timo? There is um, a Cannes gaming festival, uh, which is like similar than Essen, but slightly smaller, but the biggest one that there is in France. And uh, I'm here um, promoting our games. And uh, coincidentally, today when I was promoting, uh, showing the Perdition's Mouth for for one group, and they they actually uh, got a treasure in the game. Uh, Can you guess what was the treasure that we, we had? They had only one treasure in the whole game. And what could have been the treasure that they actually got? I have no idea. Well, it was the the uh, fabled sword of Kilfort, of course. <laughs> Excellent, brilliant, cool. It's good to see it still making an appearance in the game. And um, I never seem to get, <laughs> I never seem to draw it when I get a treasure drawer in Perdition's mouth. I've, I've been desperately seeking uh, my own sword in the game, but I do. I, I've drawn the uh, Gloom of Kilforth wound card a, <laughs> a couple of times. It's, um, yeah. That's, but, that's much more common for some reason. <laughs> well, Perdition's Mouth is uh, it, it's it's named very well. It's um, it's a brutal and kind of unforgiving game, isn't it? Um, but before we before we get into Perdition's Mouth and we, before we like sort of drill down into that, could we um, just go through the the questions that we ask everybody? So, like, I'm just going to ask you, what was your job outside of being a game designer? Or do you even still have a job outside of game design, or is that your full time job now? Well. Um... Actually, I started doing this as a hobby um, something like 14 years ago. And for the last um, last something like half a year or so, I have been actually a university, a university student as my 
primary profession. Before that, I used to do uh, IT stuff for a very long time as my primary profession. But now I, I think this uh, combination of being a university student and a game designer is actually quite fitting. I can do as much of game design as I like and then occasionally still do some school stuff to, 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 to get some, some funding uh, for, for the family when, when the games are uh, not always providing quite enough um, because we are not paying salaries for, for anyone in our team. So then you have to understand that it, it doesn't really support your family at that time if you don't pay any salaries, and we don't. <laughs> yeah, well, what are you studying then, Timo, at university? Well, I'm, I'm actually uh, studying uh, management of virtual de- teams in, in the games development. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> it somehow coincidentally <laughs> is, is very close to what I do uh, in, 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 in the game design of, of these board games. How did you get started? You mentioned that it was something like 14 years ago when you started with all of this. How did, how did you transition from being uh, presumably a gamer when you were younger to being um, a, like a sort of professional game designer? Could you give us some background on how that came about? Ooh, yeah. Well, basically, um, I have always designed games, even since I was, I think, seven or eight. I, I did my first board games back then. Um, they were not exactly good, but um, then the, the, the idea of designing board games kind of stuck. But then I, I did um, a fairly long time of doing uh, role-playing games. Uh, I think that was from 1984 to 2010 or so. I, I did a lot of role-gaming. And then I did quite a long while of LARP. LARP uh, games. I, I created something like 20 games over 10 years. This is the live-action live role-playing, right? Yes, yes. And then after that, uh, I, I felt that I have done all the live-action role-games that you, you can humanly do, so I, I had to decide to do something else. And that something else was that um, there was a friend of mine who was uh, having birthdays, and we decided that we would do a board game as a birthday present. Me and a friend, from, uh, a few friends of mine, and um, we did that. That was the, the Zantziar, um, our first published board game. That was something like 2007 or so, and it actually um, is is uh, a board game version of of the world and heroes where we had been playing these role games for the last 20 years. So basically he knew the, the world very well. He was the, the, the other game master. I was the other game master in, in the same, same world. And um, well, it was a learning experience. I, I did a lot of mistakes. Um, I, for instance, used uh, the cheapest Chinese um, manufacturing house and didn't insure my shipment and all kinds of shit that only only beginners do. Uh, don't do that. Um, it's it's kind of expensive way of learning. Yeah. This, so this was Zanzia. This was before any of your um, Kickstarter projects or anything, wasn't it? I I actually did four games before the Kickstarter time, and uh, all of those four games are now sold out. So I think those went quite okay. And were they were they self published, Timo? Yes, yes, they were self published. 
I did four games like that, and then we found out that there is this cool new thing called Kickstarter. We studied that for half a year, and then we decided that let's not make Perdition's Mouth um, right away, but let's make Black Hat uh, as a kind of like something like a research project on how the system actually works. And I'm so happy that we did it so, because Black Hat is relatively cheap, uh, like one-tenth of, uh, of the expenses, or even less than, than Perdition's Mouth, and so, so much fewer components. So I think it was a very good way of learning how the, how the system works and how the manufacturing works and so on. So that was very helpful. Yeah, it certainly looks like it. it was a great sort of trial run for um, prepping yourselves for the much bigger job of lining up your uh, ducks for Perdition's Mouth, which contains a shed load of content and miniatures and all kinds of other things to factor in that you wouldn't have had to deal with with Black Hat. So did did the process of kickstarting Black Hat, did that sort of prep you with all your, your contacts in terms of marketing and shipping and manufacturing and everything? Or did you use the same people that you'd already um, made contact with previously by doing Phantom League and Zanziar? Well, Phantom League and Zanziar were, were produced by a different company. We learned uh, a few things about those companies and we were not exactly always happy with all the things. Um, we did Black Hat with, with uh, Panda and that worked out quite well. Um, and uh, after that, um, we decided to make Perdition's Mount also with Panda. Uh, so we did use the same manufacturer. However, during the uh, production or manufacturing of, of Perdition's Mount, quite a few things went, well, not exactly smoothly. Uh, and and um, we are not using Panda any longer um, for, for that reason. So we have moved to, to, to a different, different manufacturer so that we are aiming for even higher quality. Right. Are you able to name that manufacturer or is it all top secret? No, no, it's not top secret. We are now using Longpack. Uh, Longpack is rather big manufacturer and well-known. And so far we have gotten really top-notch uh, service, which is something that we, we uh, kind of hoped for uh, with Panda. And it started very well with Panda also, but they, they, the system got quite mixed up with Panda in, in the Chinese end. So the non-Chinese end didn't know what the Chinese end is doing. And that's kind of scary. <laughs> this experience aside, Panda are quite well known for producing quite big sort of projects like Scythe and things like that and, and delivering on the component quality. But there are, I mean, I can say personally, there have occasionally been communication issues with them. So yes. we, that, that was the driving force for you to up sticks and, and move to the this new manufacturer. Is that right? Yeah. And we, we had also quite a few packing issues. We had missing components and when the components were uh, like, when we informed that, hey, there are missing components, they, they say, that, okay, we will spend a month to fix it. And then they shipped those games and they were not fixed. So we were not exactly pleased with, with that sort of information. So let's go back to 2015 then, Timo, because uh, Black Hat was uh, a fantastic success. I mean, you made 8,000 euros. It, it funded, you it overfunded, you delivered it. Um, but Perdition's Mouth by comparison was 
a raging success because you went from 8,000 euros funded on Black Cat to $80,000 on Perdition's Mouth, Abyss or Rift, which is a phenomenal leap in success. So how did you manage that scaling up? I mean, did you expect it to be so successful? Did you, um, had you anticipated that sort of response? Well, um, we did a lot of things wrong in that campaign. Um, in Perdition's so, Mouth, do you mean? Yeah, I, I think in re- retrospective, uh, we have learned so much from that time um, on, on how to run a campaign and how, how to set up goals and what kind of things are meaningful and um, a few things about communication and so on. So uh, we are very grateful that we were able to actually um, fund it and, and make, make it sensible. But I think that there were quite a few things that could have, could have been made uh, much better if we would have only known um, how to make it better back then. But like, like you have seen since um, some, of the, some of the projects after that have been actually also somewhat successful and uh, with, with less problems on, on, the, on the campaign itself. Like you shouldn't change um, the uh, pledge contents um, in the middle of campaign. Yeah, well, we did that because we had to. The, the, the campaign would, would not have funded um, originally in 2015 if we wouldn't have done it. But, of course, the better way would have been to know in advance that, okay, the, the original campaign plan had flaws. So now we have a larger group of people um, going through these things. And I think, in general, the whole... whole um, method of how do we build campaigns has has evolved um, quite radically since 2015. But yeah, well, we we were not expecting uh, almost anything. We were kind of hoping. We we were uh, at a a stage where we can't really set um, expectations. We were hoping and wishing, and of course, that's a different thing than expecting. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things I, I attribute your success to, Timo, is your ability to respond to the, the backers' demands and the backers' expectations and stuff. Because as a backer following your campaigns, it's being apparent that you listen you know, to what people are saying. And so, and I guess your honesty in this situation and talking about the flaws and, and you know, learning from your mistakes kind of thing is, I think it's a credit to you and how your company performs. And, and I think it's, it keys into why, you know, when you did the relaunch of Perdition's Mouth, it was even more successful. You had nearly a thousand backers that time around and made even more money. You've got the Traitor, Traitor Guard expansion as well to increase the content amount. Um, but what were you, your initial feelings or responses to when people would perhaps react negatively to the things that you changed during the campaign? How did you sort of manage that and, and what were your... Uh, what were your feelings about what backers might have been saying about the campaign? Well, um, of, co- of course, we, we wanted to listen quite carefully. We knew that it's, it's going to be risky to change things in, in the middle, middle of campaign. We knew that uh, this is not exactly easy thing, but luckily I had, an, I had and still have an excellent team. So it it's never has been like one man thing. Well, uh, not in the Kickstarter time. Uh, back yeah. back in the time of, of Phantom League and so on, then it was pretty much um, like a solo enterprise. But now it's um, it's much 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 like 
more divers. We we have talents in in so many different areas, and it's it's really great because um, I I can openly admit that that there are areas where where the uh, other team members are so much better than me that the, the overall quality of what we can provide has increased radically over the years. Just because I don't do any longer the, uh, the, the, the stuff that I'm not really good at. Well, everybody brings a different skill set, right? I mean, it's I, I was um, in one of the last discussions with one of the last interviewees. We were talking about uh, rule books, for example, and how designing a game I think is a different skill set altogether from designing a rule book for that same game. You know, those, those are two separate skills. Yeah. So, so it is great that you've got this dedicated team, and I know firsthand from working with, for example, your, your playtesting team, how hot and on it they were. You know, by the time. I'd submitted the scenario. The, fe- the feedback was coming through quickly and the comments were in- incisive. And so you've got this really um, taught professional group there. How did you accumulate these people? Is it as a result of the success with which the game's been received? Did you have people flock to you to sort of offer the services or were you fishing for people to come and help out and, and join the team? I think all of those have been applicable. Every single thing that you mentioned and then some more uh, have been applicable. Uh, but um, I think most of that stems from the from the active participation of myself and some other team members in in uh, in fairs and also in um, in board game geek and uh, on some some other uh, forums, but much less so in other forums. So basically, we have been um, openly telling, and we are still openly telling that if you feel that you want to be part of the team. Just send us a mail and uh, and let us know what what would you like to contribute and we will take a look how does it fit into into our team needs and very very often let's say nine cases out of ten we will find a spot for for anyone who wants to contribute and then then it's up to that person uh, to just keep whatever he or she promises we we openly tell that um, you can choose what you what you want to do in the team and then it's just uh, like selection of of tasks and whatever is not selected will fall to me so, <laughs> you get what's left over <laughs> basically uh, uh all of those tasks that that someone else is more able or more willing to do, um, we 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 outsource all of that to to someone who wants to do that, because we we fully understand the the, uh, the immense value that having a larger team with different cultural back- backgrounds and and uh, more knowledge in some certain areas and so on. What what that brings into the team. So that's what we are doing. And I think so far it has been working really well. I think so. And and it encapsulates this sort of collaborative spirit that's in the gaming community. You know, I mean, if, if, we're, um, if we're brutally honest, I guess you and I could be considered competitors in terms of what we're offering in the marketplace. But it never felt like that because of the, the way that we we're working together pretty much straight away. But also you, it's um, when, <laughs> when I signed up to do the scenario for Perdition's Mouth, I was kind of nervous because of the um, the other designers that you'd got involved in designing scenarios for Petition's Mouth already. You had names like Isaac Childress designed a scenario of Gloomhaven. You had the Sadler brothers who did The Walking Dead and X-Wing. 
you know, how did you draw these sort of people to the project? By honestly asking that, would they be interested? And, and, and explaining that, okay, this is something that uh, might sound funny, uh, but we, we believe that you would be a good fit for this particular thing. And, uh, and that we, we believe that both your fans and our fans would be happy to have this sort of cooperation. And frankly, quite many fans have, uh, have said a very big thank you for, for instance, bringing uh, the Gloomhaven and, and uh, Gloom of Kilford and, and Perdition's Mouth together in this way. And we, we did also the pandemonium um, like cooperation at, at the time when, when we were launching the first campaigns. Um, and, and at that time, we didn't know anything about pandemonium, basically, but we learned and then we learned that there is quite an amount of overlap on, on, on those backers who are backing both campaigns. And they were very happy to have um, like crossover material that, that was like enabling them to use, for instance, miniatures of pandemonium in the perdition's mode and uh, using of uh, perdition's mode things in, in pandemonium and so on. And some people are still asking those, but I think that the most visible cooperation um, things were the, the, the Saddler brothers and uh, with you uh, concerning the um, Gloom of Kilford. Those are the things that most often are, are being named as, hey, but you have this. So, but I think it's, it all stems from the simple thing of asking um, and, and giving um, reasonable explanation why would someone need to spend their time or energy to do this yeah well it's just having the guts to go out and see if they'd be willing i guess um yeah. and and that leads us to one of the bigger names hanging over the project is um kevin wilson of course uh, the original designer of descent um could you talk about his involvement in the game because he was actually in part of the design team is that correct yes yes that that is uh kevin um was participating at a convention in Finland and I was I was um, like one of his hosts back then for a, for a, for a few days and um, we met and we played um, a very early prototype of perdition's mode but he saw some um, very potential things in there and I made him an offer uh, that he felt that he doesn't want to refuse and <laughs> Godfather style. Yeah. It was not the Godfather offer or anything, so <laughs> I didn't do anything that would be, let's say, considered immoral. But um, I, I think uh, it, it was more that he felt that there are things that uh, that are improving the genre in general. So so it was it was something that he felt that should be done. So then let's make it properly. And he actually was very much bringing the horror elements into the, into the game when I asked that, how could you do that? And he, he, he was very good at thinking outside of the box that how those elements could be nicely brought in. He also did quite a lot of, uh, of terminology things uh, on what should we call certain elements of the game. And... Uh, <clears throat> and general balancing, streamlining. Um, so I had already back then uh, the, the basic elements, the, the, the rondel, for instance, that was already pretty much the same as it is now. 
but uh, there were so many other elements that were, let's say, rather rudimentary. And and um, with Kevin's help, we were able to we were we were able to iron those out into into uh, quite nicely streamlined package that that people have been enjoying and uh, that have actually required very few let's say major changes since 2015. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and it must have been a gratifying experience for you personally, Tima, to have, I guess, is mentor the right words, you know, to, to work with someone of, of that caliber? Oh, yeah. I, I have been, I have been um, immensely pleased to work with Kevin, and I can highly recommend that, that if, if anyone has the possibility of working with Kevin Wilson, that's, that's certainly something that you you should be uh, happy proud and and uh, expecting good results <laughs> i'm sure many of us would be grateful for the opportunity to work with kevin but it's interesting what you say as well about him bringing the horror elements to the game because of course perdition's mouth is ve- like it's got a very horrific sort of um theme and atmosphere there's you know tortured victims and the uh, wound cards are pretty nasty so, and and that was kind of a risk for like um an early release on kickstarter to go such like a dark uh, with such a dark theme do you think i mean what was your um, what was your main motivation for for going down that path and making it like maybe less palatable for families for example because it is you know as i say quite a dark theme in petition's mouth well I think it has it stems into three different um, um, like reasons. The reason number one, I think, is that I'm from Finland, and Finns uh, are say slightly melancholic and maybe a little bit grim in the nature, and and I think even though I typically don't fit the stereotypical Finnish in any way, maybe in this particular sense I do. And um, the second part is that I think that there are so many of those heroes in shining glory, uh, glorious armors doing a mission for, uh, for the god or some, some stuff like that. Most of the dungeon crawlers are like that. And I think that it's, it's kind of like crowded market. There are very few uh, like dark dungeon crawlers that actually perform the um the um the, the, the feeling uh, of the of the darkness in any other way except that yeah but we have dark elves um so if you want to go anything deeper than that it's not that easy to find anything that i would find like a really good candidate at least back then it was very uh sparsely populated genre and the third part was that we felt that we are um we we want to do realistic things we we don't want to go overly into the magic and and heroism and so on so we felt that we we want to have heroes that are kind of like something that you can actually feel familiar with that okay it's it's not just some guy from the book who who, who is like superman but but something that you can feel that oh oh this is like almost like me Except he's more bearded and um, and something. So like struggling heroes rather than yeah. yeah super warriors. I get that. Okay, and 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 how has that been received in the market, Timo? What what have people responded to that positively? Well, vast majority of the people have said that they they are very pleased of our choices. There are few 
that have been unhappy. Um, there are a few who have said that, okay, uh, there could be less blood, for instance. But yeah. basically, if we get more than 9 out of 10 are positive comments, I think it's not exactly a wrong choice. Of course, it meant that, like you said, we, we were um, consciously making our uh, niche market a little bit smaller. But then again, we were not aiming to be a supermarket game anyhow. Yeah, you're staying true to your to your vision, to the dark vision of the game. We never like visioned that it would be a game that is sold in Tesco. <laughs> no, certainly not. And but it, I mean, it has done exceedingly well, and it has been. You know, the reviews that I've seen have been fantastic of the game. I enjoy the game, um, and it's very, despite its dark theme and everything. Your latest project has is a complete and utter sidestep from Perdition's mouth, as far as I can tell. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Darwinning and, and what happened with that? Maybe an overview of the game to start with and, and then what happened on the Kickstarter? Well, basically, um, it's, it's a game uh, where um, you are developing a species. It's a family card game where you are developing your species. There are 10 different species. And by playing poker hands uh, of maximum of four cards, well, basically, typically three cards, but if you have four of the same, that's like the highest that you can get. Whenever you play um, the highest hand on a round, you will be able to use one of the cards that you played to improve your species. So it's basically table building or how do you say it? Table building, I guess, uh, where, where, where you are building uh, your species from the cards that you are playing with. Uh, and... Um, so far, we have been receiving quite nice reviews and um, all of the people in, in all of the fairs that we have participated have been really thrilled. Of course, it, it had the problem that our prototype graphics were, were considered too childish. So quite large majority of people were assuming that, that it's, it's game only for children. And it's not quite so. It is a family game, can be played with anyone for uh, age of 9 plus, takes about 45 minutes to play, 2 to 5 players, 2 to 6 if the Kickstarter goes really well. And, um, and it's, it's certainly a game where there is a, like a lot of funny, funny elements. Today we had, for instance, a group of French uh, children playing and, um, in the end, uh, the, the, the winning combination was an ant who grew teeth and then went on, like, on the food chain to be the top predator um, of, of the whole food chain. So the ant was eating all the dinosaurs and, and mice and, and birds and so on. And the other children were all laughing uh, also for the concept that, okay, you have um, like a meat-eating ant who is like, smarter than anyone else and uh, having teeth. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a very imaginative idea, but it's a, it's a far cry from Perdition's mouth, isn't it? Did, yeah. Was it important for you to, to get away from that, like mentally to get into a different design space with the game? I mean, how, how did the idea come about or was it a deliberate decision to, to sort of step away from, you know, the dark world of Perdition's mouth and, and do something that's, you know, that nine-year-olds can play? Having had a nine-year-old back then, um, yeah, it kind of made sense because, of course, our son uh, is able to play Perdition's Mouth and was able to play Perdition's Mouth at age of nine easily because he has been part of the 
um, game testing team since I think he was six or so. We still felt that um, he needed games that he would be able to play with his friends. And his friends were certainly not capable of playing Perdition's Mouth at age of nine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we needed something different. And he was also interested by himself, like my wife, to, to, to help in the game design. And then that was kind of like a game that felt natural. That Okay, this is something that is a family game that is actually designed by a family. So that, that kind of helped in, in the design and uh, was one of the reasons why we chose this kind of, um, this, this kind of game team. But we, we had also some ideas that, okay, this, this is a thematic that, that, that can be fun, that could be interesting. And we had um, like game mechanics in mind that, that we felt that this is worth of experimenting. And when the first prototype that we did, um, turned out to be actually quite good, um, we, we felt that, okay, let's see if this actually flies. So yeah, we are certainly aware that it's it's very different than than what what Perdition's Mouth is, but we would like to remind you that so is Black Hat, so is Phantom League. They are all very different kind of games. So yes. maybe we are not that much into the the concept of um, of one particular uh, team. We are more into the concept of doing thematic games in general. So all of the games that we do, we want to try to do it um, in a thematic fashion. Okay, well, um, I mean, if it's not too painful then, Timo, maybe you could talk to us about the, the, the process of, of cancelling the campaign, because that's what, what ended up happening, isn't it? The, the Darwin yes. campaign was cancelled. Yes. So could yeah. you talk to us about the, um, the reasons for that and, and your feelings about the, the decision of having to do that? As probably you know, but your listeners don't possibly know. Um, we have been driving all around Europe. We left from Finland on 17th of January. And on 18th of January, our uh, one of our server computers decided to break. It has been working flawlessly for four years. And of course, it has to die a day after we leave Finland. And of course, we left that in Finland. And that meant that no, no emails were able to reach us. And you really can't run a, a successful Kickstarter if you have no email access. <laughs> Not at all. So that was one of the reasons. The second thing that actually happened at the same time was that all of our reviewers, except two, said that, oh, but for the reason A, B, and C, we are delayed. So the reviews were also late. That was not exactly brilliant. And uh, then we were like, hmm. This is not exactly very useful way of starting the game uh, game campaign. So we, we decided that let's postpone it by a month. And uh, as a happenstance, uh, the, the campaign starts tomorrow, uh, the Saturday the 24th of February at 7 p.m. Uh, Central European time. So in less than 24 hours, we have a new campaign, which is much better where we have the reviews, where we have the previews, where we have all the new art, where we have um, also working email access and so on. 
And when you were asking that, how does how did it feel? Well, of course, we were slightly unhappy, but then again, uh, I have I have known to be unlucky beyond any, uh, let's say, reasonable expectations before. <laughs> so I I'm kind of used to this. So I think Mr. Murphy must be a relative of mine or something. <laughs> you do you do sound very philosophical about it, Tima. That I mean, that's the kind of thing that could hurt, but I think it sounds like you're just shrugging it off and getting on with it. But it does seem like the best approach then to have all your reviews and everything lined up in advance and uh, and then going back at it again properly. So yeah. um, so how how are you marketing the game for the relaunch? How are you tackling that? Well, we have been in Nuremberg uh, Toy Fair a few weeks ago, and now we are in Cannes. Uh, in France, in, in the, the biggest game fair uh, of, of France. And next weekend we are in uh, in Portugal, where there is the biggest convention of Portugal. That would be the uh, Leiriacon. So we are going from convention to convention. It's a very effective way of spreading the word exactly to your target group, because we are then meeting only gamers. Of yeah. course, if we would have endless amount of cash, we could we could simply buy shitload of uh, Facebook time and um, so on. But I don't think it's it's the style that we want to do. Sometimes we can use some exceptionally small amounts of money for actual advertisement. But typically, we believe that uh, the games are best marketed by by the players themselves who are happy and who have felt that, okay, this is something new, this is something different. It's not a very fast way of marketing, but at least it, it, it also gives us the pleasure of seeing the people who are trying the game, hearing the feedback, seeing them smile. That's, that's I think... It's a big part of the experience is having that um, no barrier between you and the gamers and being able to demo with them directly and, and, and see their physical response to the game as well. Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's very important. But the, but the reach, um, as you mentioned, isn't perhaps the best because, you know, the time that it takes you to demo a game to a group of people, that's going to be, um, well, it just takes a long time to explain the rules and go through a gameplay and everything, doesn't it? But if you've been, I mean, if you've been physically on tour with the game since, um, did you say since January? January 17th we left and we are going back in for Christmas or so. So it's a full-on rock and roll road trip. Yes, we are doing 11 months a road trip uh, throughout Europe. And do you find that you are getting traction then from demoing directly? You know, do you get people who sign up there and then, or maybe do you just yes. give out the, the flyers and information about the game? Yes, that's that's exactly what we are what we are feeling that this this is a very effective way and. Let's face it, that was the only way of marketing we did for Phantom League ever. We never did any kind of marketing in any kind of public ways. There was absolutely no social media. We didn't even have a website back then. So it's all word of mouth. Yes. And they still funded and well, still were successfully produced games as well. So And it sold out. And sold out. Brilliant. Okay, well, I know you've got lots of other projects coming up in the future as well. So we'd love to get you back on the show and talk about the uh, the revised edition of Petition's Mouth and any future expansions you might have for that. But for the time being, I want to thank you so much for coming and, and spending some time with us and talking about your games team. I wish you all the best with the Kickstarter. Thank you. And it has been really a pleasure to be here. So... 
let's be in touch. Excellent. Thanks for your time, Timo. Thanks. Bye-bye.